Hi everyone, this is the Innovators and Collaborators podcast. I'm Mike Briggs, Head of Innovation for ABB Australia, and I am thrilled to be here again as we shine the light on the brewing innovation and collaboration that's going on across the industry right now. And there is certainly a momentum in the air, and this is a fantastic opportunity to listen and learn from those who are leading the charge. Jumping straight in, it's my privilege to introduce Dominic Fisher, whose incredibly rich and varied career is focused on tech-driven innovation. Among many things, she's the co-founder and CEO of Paddle, which has been nationally recognised as a thought leader in edtech-driven innovation. It's a learning experience platform that essentially helps learners to discover, track, upskill, benchmark, verify, and share their skills and experiences that stay ahead in this tech-driven world. Welcome, Dominic. Thank you. Thanks for being here. I'm so thrilled for you to be and uh, talk to you today around innovation and collaboration. And I've read your CV, so um, it is, it's a good read by itself. Um, let's, let's first of all, let's talk about how you came here. How did you start on this innovation journey? Um, talk to us about that. Thank you so much, Mike. Um, look, this interview has given me an opportunity to kind of reflect on my crazy long career. I probably started on it in my early 20s, to be really honest. I fell in love with technology uh, when I was at university. This was a very long time ago, pre-internet days, mm. more because of its possibilities. And in those days, you know, Australia didn't have remote television and so on. And so in those days, it was all focused on satellite communication. And the more I got into it, the more I realised the opportunity that, you know, use and power of technology could bring to really just about every part of our community and business sector and found that I just kept becoming involved in conversations about possibilities. And I suppose if you jump to 2021 and now we have a whole language that defines innovation and design thinking and collaboration and infinite mindset and so on, you know, possibilities was what we called back in the olden days. Um, I've probably been obsessed about innovation and particularly the use of technology in innovation for my whole career. Mm. I think it's really interesting. So you're talking about career. Tell us a little bit about that background. Who have you worked for with and why maybe as well? So I have a, um, a very windy path in my, in my career. I started out as a classical ballet dancer. You'll mm. be interested to know. And then fell in love with with a man who um, meant that I had to leave the Australian Ballet School and go to Adelaide, discovered university, and basically went from there. So in those days, through my university years, doing all the usual things that one does at university to make a living, and my first job was actually with a company called Offset, which is probably not known to a lot of people today, but Offset was Australia's satellite system uh, because my thesis was on the public inquiry process that led to the creation of a satellite system for Australia. And I started interviewing various people at OSAT and by about the third interview, they turned around and said, we'd like to interview you. And so I was the first non-engineer to join OSAT back in the olden days. So that really set or consolidated my kind of interest in technology and my role there was, I had the funny title of, what's that called? The Public Research Officer or something. 
And my job was to sort of look for opportunities for the sale of transponder capacity in our satellite system. So that opened up a whole network of people, which basically many of them are still in my network to this day. We were sort of the, the pioneers of commercialization of, in those days, satellite technology. So worked for Offset for about five years, had my first child. Then at that time, the second telecommunications license for Australia was being discussed and I joined that team. It was called Calori. It was a sort of a consortium of, gosh, who was in it? Um, uh, Bellsat Canada, New Zealand Telecom, Ameritech, et cetera. So all these global um, telecommunications companies. And I was co-author of the satellite business case and it's a big document. So that then sort of opened up another whole wave and did that for about 12 months, had my second child, and then really didn't want to go back to full-time work. So I started my consulting business called EC Strategies, which has become a bit of a sort of a family joke because in those days it was electric, uh, electronic commerce strategies. But it's um, that EC has flowed with the times. It's been... I think E has stood for environmental, electronic, all sorts of things as the generations have gone down through the years. And really from there, have really sort of consulted for ages, published the Australian Food Finder. I'm passionate about food in my other life of Weldon. And that was really cataloguing the um, Australian food industry, which no one had really sort of done before, looking at how we could source products in Australia before we purchased overseas. So. That then sort of opened up for me. We had this, you know, three kilo book that we were basically sending around the world, which I then quickly worked out would be so much better if I could put it online because I'd heard about this thing called the internet, (laughs) which hadn't yet come to Australia at that stage. Um, So I then worked for them for a while, put the book online and built the first sort of online trading community. Et cetera, et cetera. So I've also had a sort of an extensive non-executive career as well, pretty much since my 20s. So been involved in lots of different organisations and then ran a digital agency forever. And then in the last sort of 12 plus years, co-founded Paddle with my eldest son and have been very much involved in the commercialisation of what we're doing now. Just as you step through there, let's um, step into Paddle. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and, yeah, I mean, how you're, how you're talking to industry and, and the government about innovation. So Paddle, it, it came out of a previous company which was called Career Lounge and um, that was, it was formed um, really, I suppose, from what we were seeing at the time, total frustration of my son as he left school, went to university, being frustrated about, understanding what opportunities he had before him, despite the fact that he'd been very privileged to go to a private school and had all the support and so on that many, um, you know, young adults don't have. Mm. And just kept coming back to this idea he had. Anyway, we've been on this sort of journey, which has basically been looking at that critical sort of bridging point between education and training and then ultimately employment. So we had four or five different solutions in the market. Paddle came about about six years ago, realised that this was the one, shut everything else down, changed the name of the company to Paddle. But what we could see happening again and again in the market with 
people applying particularly for roles after graduating, whether it was from TAFE or university, was that if you didn't come from a very kind of traditional path where you did well in your final year at school, you went to university, you completed a degree, you then applied for an internship or a graduate position, you then got a job with a corporate, you stayed there for five years, then you went on to your next role. If you had a pathway that was different to that, you were seriously disadvantaged. So we set out to actually provide opportunity for people whose pathways perhaps were a little bit less conventional than those. So what that meant was that we had to find a way to legitimise, I suppose, the value of experience from an early age, which meant that we had to bring government, the corporate sector, academia, emerging talent together so that we could create something where value was there for everybody. And that's basically been the foundation of our whole business. And of course, innovation, the foundation of innovation is really bringing together diverse communities to explore new ideas. So yes, that's really been the basis of our business all along. Yeah, I know a little bit about Paddle, but for the audience, maybe tell us exactly what you do. I mean, I've, I've lived the experience. So what is it that Paddle does? So we have a platform, paddle.com, which we describe as an LXP or a learning experience platform that enables individuals to capture their experiences, earn experience points and so on. And what that's doing is helping them better understand their own professional development. When we started on this, we realised that there was very little opportunity for people to get the sort of experience that they needed for the modern world. And this has only become more and more so. So in 2017, I came up with the idea of Paddle Games, which was to bring what we were starting to see happening internationally around sort of the hackathon space together with some of the principles and ideas that we've been working on to create this new model. Paddle Games were launched in 2017. Actually, Canon Australia was our first major client, which was amazing. And essentially, at the, at the heart of it, it was it's bringing together diverse people in teams to ideate around a, uh, using a simple design thinking methodology to solve a problem that they set. It, it proved to be highly successful. We went on to do many of these with top sort of 200 companies um, across the country got tapped on the shoulder by the Victorian government and said, would you come and do this with small business across Victoria, which we did in partnership with COSBOA, the Council of Small Business Organisations of Australia. And then as a result of that, got tapped on the shoulder by the Australian government who said, we would like to see this as a national program. So that was launched in August 19 by the then Minister for Industry, Science and I think it was Technology in those days, which was Karen Andrews. And we've been rolling it out ever since. Um, and it's been incredibly successful and very exciting. So it's basically a, an innovation model that really seeks to bring a whole ecosystem together and be represented in a team. So you've got emerging talent, you've got small business owners and employees, government advisors, corporate experience, senior executives, specialists, PhDs and so on. And that rich diversity professionally facilitated in a team produces magical results and mm. you yourself have experienced. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're pitching that idea around, you know, emerging talent, this creation of IP and this through this ideation process and then an industry connection between businesses and government, 
What's your pitch to you know someone who's looking to run that? What, what are they going to get out of that? What do they expect to get out of that? Great question. So it all depends. So if, for example, it's a, a local government, so for example, City of Newcastle used our model to explore inclusive disability services as part of their smart city strategy, so then it was being able to gather a really disparate group of people across Newcastle, both people living with disability, with lived experience and people who had none, together in teams to create new ways for the city to support people living with disability. So in that case, it was community engagement and the creation of IP. On the other hand, somebody like the Northern Territory Government, we did a series on renewable energy, three games over a sort of a lap time of about six months. For them, this was about, they'd made their commitment in 19 about the, the zero emissions target for 2050 and had a government policy, had a couple of major um, public-private partnerships in play, but the rest of the community was not really engaged. So as we know, very topical conversation, you know, how do you bring a community into supporting such a, an aspiration as 2050 zero emissions? You've got to educate, you've got to network, you've got to bring them into a collaborative environment so that small businesses, emerging talent, etc., can recognise opportunities. So for them, it was about how do we engage the community? How do we actually discover what the depth of our talent pool is in our universities, in our case, and so on? And then how can we attract corporate to the Northern Territory to better understand what we in the Territory are trying to do and mix them all up in that pot and deliver great outcomes. So that series produced 26 solutions which under this model was um, what, what we call a sort of an open IP concept where the ideas can be taken by anybody and it's open IP but of course as we know once the commercialisation process starts then that IP clock reset to obviously be defined by the funders. But for the Northern Territory, we were able to give them significant data from our surveying, from the all of the hundreds of organisations that we dealt with, all the students, all the, the educators, which are mostly registered training organisations, and Charles Darwin University, um, because it's the only tertiary institution in the Northern Territory, mm. to actually give them a feel for what was actually available for them in the Northern Territory to support essentially what the, what the Territory needs to be able to do to deliver that 2050 zero emissions target. I love that. But basically it's bringing diverse people together to ideate around a problem. Nindaroo Foundation, it was around helping communities identify innovative ways for them to better coordinate and collaborate in times of crisis that was coming off of the bushfires and the floods. Energy Australia, we did it in Lismore and in um, and in the Latrobe Valley. That was around use of energy, energy as a scarce resource, and so on. All the way through Tasmania, we did again for those all those little micro businesses that you see in Salamanca markets. How could they use technology to grow their businesses? What I liked about the whole program is that it's very time sensitive, so we could all sit around and come up with great ideas, and you know, 
Um, and typically government organisations probably love that process as well. But it's, it's very time-framed, isn't it? So, and, and really it's a quite a disciplined process that you're looking for to, and then to pitch the idea back to the, to the group. So talk us about the challenges that come with that. So it's, it's all grounded by effectively one very intense day. There's the preparation leading up to that. The formation of the teams, making sure that we've got the right people in the teams, the right businesses, the right PhDs and so on. So that's sourcing talent, if you like, from the addressable market that we're targeting and then making sure that we've got roughly equal teams across the number of teams, which could be 16, 20, 30 teams. So that's the first challenge. And then, of course, supporting and onboarding them into a tech environment because we 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 do a lot of this initial piece virtually because one of the key outcomes of the National Innovation Games Australian Government Program is digital upskilling. What we've discovered is across the small business sector in particular, there's a, an extremely wide band of digital capability. So you have people who barely know how to use a mobile phone all the way through to people who are building apps themselves and everything in between. So trying to bring them all up to speed to be able to perform on a single day is the first challenge. And that's usually done over about a five or six week period. And then we have an intense day, which is each team is professionally facilitated. And that's structured around roughly three, two and a half hour, what we call sprints. So the first sprint is focused on agreeing on the problem you're going to address. The second are what all the possible solutions and the third building out your pitch, ready to pitch to a judging panel, which is all happening in one day. Mm. The challenges that come about from that is, you know, we have a lot of human beings here. So we have people who find it very difficult to let go of ideas. They may be absolutely determined to have their idea be the one that's selected. People listening to each other, different levels of experience. So there's, there's a whole human dynamic that comes into play, which is really trying to help people hone their collaboration skills. And then, of course, having sufficient skills in the team to be able to not only conceive of an idea and a solution, but also be able to pitch it. So there's a lot of things going on in that day. Dom, do you think that the, the idea around collaboration and in, uh, innovation is really the sweet spot within the organisation that you're, you're sort of running and leading? Uh, yes, but it, but it also increasingly, for a lot of organisations, it's also about sourcing talent and for organisations being able to assess potential leaders. So that's something that we've really seen over the last couple of years. So yes, definitely the innovation piece is critical where people are looking for solutions to pretty big challenges. But, you know, the missing piece in, in, in so many of these discussions is actually who's going to do the work. And posting an ad and getting applications and going through the traditional process of HR reviews and so on just is not giving you the best possible opportunity to assess talent. So being able to observe people in this dynamic, how resilient are they, how quickly do they pick up technology, how are they working in a team, are they leaders, are they followers, you know, like who are they? Because of the intense nature of the day, you get a very unique opportunity to observe people as they have to perform because it is ultimately there's a, there's a major outcome for the day, which is, which is an idea, a pitch, and then ultimately delivering the pitch the next day. Yeah. So definitely innovation, creation of IP, but also it's also observing 
people as potential applicants, as employees and as leaders in, in, an, in a pressure cooker environment where innovation is the outcome. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think um, you've referred to the games. Um, what, what do you mean by that? Maybe explain that idea behind that. We wanted to sort of inject a bit of fun into all of this as well. I mean, you know, unless you're going to enjoy yourself, uh, these things can be fairly uh, intense experiences. So the whole concept of the games was there are teams, it's a competition, you're going to be thrown in with different people, you get to give your team a fun name and you often don't know the people in your team, it's a unique bonding exercise and, you know, you achieve something together. So that was really the thinking behind that was that, yes, this is serious, but this is also a huge opportunity for you to have to go basically move outside your comfort zone and go and actually feel that you have the opportunity to be uninhibited for a day and just really have a whole new way of doing things a go. And giving it the nomenclature of a game just softens the intensity of it a little. Yeah. And it does. It, 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 I think it drives the behaviour when you're there as well. You, you don't have a lot to lose, so your contributions yeah. are easily taken. You know, no one's going to be really negative about the process. Um, just the name, you know, creating the name for the team, all of that process, I think, makes it a bit more flexible. And honestly, through the innovation process, you know, building up teams together in very short periods of time, you know, coming together, coming up with an idea, having that open discussion, back and forth, the arguments, the challenges, you know, just because you're leading, you know, you're the BHP, you know, lead or uh, you're a student doing a Master's of Science or something, you're you're equal, right, in this process of innovation. Yeah. And the concept of a game implies teams and we all know, you know, there's no I in the word team. So it is an opportunity, particularly for senior people uh, who often are a bit grumpy about being thinking that they're being thrown in with, you know, a bunch of students to do something for the day. In our survey responses, we get the most amazing responses from them, you know, with things like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea or I actually learned something today or that was amazing. I had no idea I didn't know X or could do Y. So there's something in it for everybody and it's because, it isn't a case of a manager or a senior executive dictating what's happening. They actually have to, in a team, get people to agree and negotiate and collaborate. And there aren't too many opportunities these days for people to do that. And when they do do it and see the value of it, uh, we understand based on our survey data that they go back and they actually often change the way in which they engage back in their own businesses in the way they work with groups of people. So. That's also the other part of Paddle, isn't it? The experience, building up experience. Yes. You talked a little bit about that, you know, as an alternative to, you know, functional learning and so forth. We see experience and, you know, we define experience broadly, but, you know, it's, it's doing things and gaining experience and it's also in the experience of um, this is an invaluable part of modern learning, which we don't think there is enough of. Mm. I agree. I agree that that um, foundation of experience is really important. And it is one of the traits for great innovation, right? Diversity experience is, you know, the key to creating great ideas and then delivering around that as well. You know, when you speak to people and they say, I want to innovate, (laughs) I want to be innovative. Um, What is that? What do you you hear when you hear the word innovation? Uh, 
That's a very good question. It usually means in our experience they want to try something different. I think the word innovation gets used interchangeably almost with, you know, different, which isn't quite the case, but it's a good place to start. But usually, particularly in the corporate sector, it's been driven because they've got a problem that they haven't either been able to solve or are aware enough to know that maybe there's an alternative way of approaching something that they haven't really given time to explore. And so innovation often gets used in that context or I want to innovate. Um, Often that's sort of also coupled with being entrepreneurial. It's a very abused word. So um, it often depends on who's saying it as to what they mean. Um, Government's saying they want to innovate raise an eyebrow and say, okay, um, what does that mean? Um, which often is we don't know how to solve this problem and we want to, we, we need to engage the community. Typically that means innovation for government. For corporates, it's often engagement with their employees, but it's also increasingly better understanding their customer base and their supply chain. There's a lot of focus increasingly on better relationships in the supply chain in corporates. And as we all know, particularly with innovation where technology is involved, you're only as strong as your weakest link, and the weakest link is often in the supply chain. So being able to bring them into a more proactively engaged ecosystem is producing great results. And then, of course, in the whole education space, it's looking for new ways to be more employable. So, you know, it, it all depends, I think. Yeah, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that because we circle back to students and talent and STEM, you know, for us in ABB, that's an extremely important part of our future employees. And I know you speak to a lot of other employees and organisations around STEM, and I know there's a passion for that as well from you and your background. How do we future-proof our students um, technology-wise, educational-wise now? How do we do that? Is it through these experiences? You know, it's it's infinite learning, and I mean that's again another sort of cliche term these days. But we are living in an ever changing world, and technology is driving that change every single day. There are literally hundreds of apps being used by businesses every day. You know, I mean, so it's not a set and forget sort of concept where I learn and therefore I know. You have to be constantly learning. And I think given how curious people are and hopefully, you know, their their hunger for to be relevant and useful, um, you, you can't stop learning. And so we don't look at students per se. We look at people mm. because you, even the most senior executives in a business need to be tech savvy these days. And whilst we have amazingly bright and capable people graduating from schools and CASE and universities, with the pace of change, those formal education institutions just cannot keep up the pace of educating people, particularly around a technology space. And so they basically have to teach them how to learn and then Organisations like KBB or BHP or Rio Tinto, for that matter, um, or the Northern Territory Government, have to have a commitment to continuously be supporting their people to be learning 
And of course, that's going to be around direct things that that organisation uses, whether that's tools or technology or systems, equipment, whatever. But with how much disruption is happening in the world and in different businesses and so on, you can't afford to be inward looking. You've constantly got to be engaged outside your organisation. And that's why we see things such as, you know, the paddle games model, for example, is a great way to bring real, you know, often businesses that may be perceived as competitors into an environment where they're working together mm. so that they're learning constantly from each other. So it's a lifelong journey, basically. Yeah, it is. And it's that collaborative spirit, I guess, behind innovation and, and new talent that brings, you know, change to businesses as well. We're in a rapid changing area, time of life at the moment. Um, as a collaborator, what um, what are you thinking about? From Paddle's perspective, mm. um, we know that every business needs to be global. <laughs> you know, the ultimate collaboration is being able to draw on talent and capability from people all over the world. Yeah, we're a, a, a you know a, a scale up Australian business. We are not going to be able to enter every market on our own. It's just not possible. There aren't enough years money left, you've got to do it by collaboration, partnerships, whatever. Yeah. And I would suggest that that's probably no different to any other organisation. There are new markets or new sectors that you need to enter into or wish to. You can either do it by sort of organically growing expertise and taking your time to do it or finding partners and collaborating and doing things together. And I think the latter is really, given the pace of change, can really be the only effective way of doing it. So for us, it's about who are those organisations we can work with, who can take us global is something I, CEO, think about every day. Haven't found the right partners yet, but always looking. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, maybe in the old, you know, when we're talking about uh, networking and so forth, but definitely innovation is about, you know, connecting people together and that idea is, and I find that's what I've been sort of really focused on, and I see you do that every day, just with the link of leads and the jumping between people and the connection, and then working out how that we can together, maybe as a tribe that's focused on innovation, you understand that term, right, the tribe? Exactly, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, I have my tribe. <laughs> they're very, <laughs> they're very important to me. But, you know, they're, they're, they're fellow travellers on a similar journey. I suppose it's just it's so exciting when you meet someone who quote unquote gets it um, through your yeah. eyes, of course. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And I and I think too, and this is something that you know, dare I say, we in Australia need to be a lot better at. Mm. I think people need to be much more generous with sharing to their connections and their networks. So I, I feel that we still hog things in Australia. It's, I don't experience it in the US or in the UK or Europe for that matter or even parts of Asia. It's sort of weird. It's, I don't know what it is, but we're not really good sharers. And I think particularly when we're given opportunities to work with other people and share ideas and opportunities and deals for that matter, if you can get switched to this mindset that together you can create a bigger pie and we both end up with bigger slices, I, I just yearn for that mindset in Australia. And I, and I think hopefully we're, I'm tr- we're trying to do this through the games model by introducing people who 
typically would not work together in our little way, which is obviously in our game format. But it creates the most special outcomes, and we we've seen it proven again and again and again. Yeah, I agree. So tell me maybe some insight into who who's in your tribe. Who do you turn to when you're when you're thinking about innovation and what you can do next, and and who's crying out for that innovation that you see, and you know what's their advice, perhaps. So I, think I, I mentioned sort of very early on in this discussion, you know, starting out in the sort of the technology journey in the 80s, heaven forbid, there were still lots of people in that network who are now in positions of influence right across. It, it's the joke I have with my team. There is an advantage of being older. You, you just get to know people who, who, if you hang around long enough, end up to be in senior positions all over the place. That We all need each other. And, and many of these people I knew at university, you know, like it's just crazy how it all happens. But also coming back to that sharing thing, I always try to identify, you know, how I can help somebody else without sounding too sort of corny. But And if, that, if that's responded to and they share too, you know, you're, you know, you know there's a connection there and then that connection begets another and another and another. So... The tribe, uh, it's people like you, Mark. It's like what a joy to meet you. I mean, you, you've brought a whole new perspective to innovation for me. Just in, you know, goodness me, some of the things I learnt from some of the people from ABB in the Northern Territory has opened up a whole new way for me to look at how we could bring innovation genuinely into kind of decarbonising infrastructure or decarbonising mining or whatever, which is a highly technical space. But what it showed me was that the principles are still the same as long as you've got people like yourself in our tribe who are willing to give things a go, still bring their expertise and their disciplines and whatever from their sector, but where, you know, you can put people from a medical background together with, you know, people from an engineering background and heavens above from a tourism background, bring them all together and with their perspectives. I mean, it is incredible what happens. And so I, I think in a way, the tribe kind of finds itself by connection and mm. and sharing, really. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for those kind words. I, I, I definitely think that, you know, the, the gift also that you're giving to people is the, the ability to innovate and within that, you know, framework and to really start thinking outside of the box and thinking about what products and services we have and how can we use those differently as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and it is the exchange of experience and knowledge um, that's key. And that's our responsibility, I think, as ABB as a big company and individually as we grow and learn ourselves. But, you know, I think that innovation to some people could be quite a scary process. Oh, absolutely. And particularly people who... Perhaps authority and position is grounded in kind of, you know, hogging of information. It is a scary process and, and there are people who find it very uncomfortable. But I could count on one hand the number of occasions in the last five years where we've had people who have just completely freaked out and had wanted, and I'm talking quite senior people, and wanted nothing more to do with the process because it was just too threatening. Uh, which is sort of weird in a way, but so be it. So our job is to make sure that people feel comfortable and confident to just let go for a day. And mm. it's not, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world just to basically explore what it means to adopt this process. 
to be frank, you know, we used to call them workshops. They're now called, you know, innovation challenges or whatever. I mean, like this, this, this we've all been doing this for a very long time. It's just we're recognising elements of the process more today than perhaps we did before. And we're also being, I suppose, a, a lot more democratic with the sharing of ideas than perhaps we did before. So that, that, that can be threatening to people. So we also find culturally people from different cultural backgrounds, you know, it, it, it can be quite confronting, you know, so being in the, where they are deemed to be a peer with someone who's a lot older than them or in a position of seniority. We did an amazing Games um, in May, which was Overcoming the Barriers for Women in STEM with Western Sydney University. And we did a whole week where we packed it with what we call an impact accelerator, uh, a program which is designed to identify something that needs urgent and accelerated focus, which we determined was, you know, really trying to crack this women in STEM issue. We, we found a lot of the young women, university students who particularly in many cases came from Asian backgrounds, really struggled to not even assert their position, but they just they felt it was that that it wasn't culturally it just wasn't right for them to see themselves as an equal contributor to something, you know, solving solving whatever. And that was a really curious concept. We still are rolling around with that and trying to understand that a lot better at the moment. But two things came out of that. One was the fact that we were staggered how many young men stayed away for fear of getting into something that they didn't that they, that, that they could embarrass themselves or felt uncomfortable, which was extraordinary. And the other was incredibly capable. We're talking chemical engineers and PhDs in you know mechanical engineering or mechatronics. I mean these girls are super bright and yet they have this cultural overlay that is that's perhaps holding them back in our so-called Western economy and the methodologies that we're bringing through things like innovation. Mm. still don't really know how to unpack that as thoroughly as we need to, but it's something we've been very closely monitoring. So just having a think about the games that you've run over the last couple of periods, what would you say, I mean, give one example of what's a really a functional outcome of the games process from a business perspective, the tangible takeaway? So... Look, every one of them were amazing. The one we did in South Australia for the Commission on Excellence and Innovation in Health, which is part of the South Australian government, was like an agency. That was the very first. It was, oh, dearie me, it was so funny. All hell was breaking loose with COVID. We'd just come off the back of a summer of bushfires. We've been choking and spluttering our way through in-person games with Energy Australia and Lismore. Like, it was just crazy what was going on. And I literally made a phone call on Friday to the commissioner. Monday we had a meeting, four o'clock that afternoon we had agreements to do the game. And they were to be our very first full virtual game. So not only did they agree to do something like an innovation game, they also agreed to do it virtually and knew that they were the guinea pigs for our first major virtual game. So they were pretty amazing. Why Paddy did that was because here was the situation with COVID where Things were pretty much out of control everywhere and the health sector was struggling to come to terms with how they could rapidly sort of collaborate. And he was looking at a stage where there was basically little collaboration in evidence. Mm. So the purpose of the Games was to try to bring the whole community together, the whole health community, 
and give them an opportunity to work together in teams. And the challenge topic was how might we identify things with um, digital services for both for all South Australians, irrespective of location, which meant that people in remote areas, metropolitan, blah, 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 had access to ubiquitous health services, so digital health services. So we created extraordinary teams of people who had never even met each other in Adelaide. I mean, Adelaide is not a big place, and the health sector is not exactly huge. So that was the most amazing game for lots of reasons. But I get such joy every day on LinkedIn seeing yet another deal done with another group of people who met each other in that game last year. So it just goes on and on and on. It's like that's, you know, the gift that keeps giving was that game in South Australia. And then, of course, the other one um, is the is the series that ABB was involved in, uh, which is the Northern Territory on renewable energy. We are incredibly excited to see some of the collaborations that were that that resulted, and potentially even one that ABB itself is involved in, with organisations like BMT Global and WSP. So I'm very excited for you to tell me what's happening there, Mike. But that is one example. But the winners of that game was a Calvary healthcare group that worked with a local solar panel manufacturer, I suppose, as a small manufacturer and installer and people in Northern Territory Health to come up with this amazing solution for people in remote communities. And they were particularly focused on the Kiwi Island, where we discovered, if you remember, being on the judging panel, remember they shared with us that there was something like nine fridges or something in the whole community. Like, it was just extraordinary. It's 2021, and here was a solution yes. being formed that could actually solve a problem that would address medical problems, lifestyle, you know, la, la, la. That has gone on. That They're still meeting to this day. It's incredibly exciting. So, yeah. And then we keep hearing of things. Like I just literally had someone contact me the other day who was in, in our very first games in May, which was Virgin Australia was the was the partner that we worked with on that one. And that was on better management of waste to reduce Australia's landfill. Well, that person's now on their third promotion. Like this, and they, I get this sort of every time she moves jobs, I get this gorgeous email to say, you know, it all started with the games in, on the Gold Coast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So... We have a lovely job to do supporting people. It's incredibly exciting when you see something that that you dream that will work actually changes people's lives. It's, it's special, very special. I have probably two two last questions for you. One is, you know, you talk to a lot of businesses about innovation. So what is your advice, you know, to anyone listening today and to businesses about innovation and collaboration? What, what's, what's your short advice on that? Don't wait. It's not something you plan like a conference. You need to be doing it today. You need to be doing it every day. And what is it depends on what sector you're in, size of your organisation. Probably the most important thing is making sure that every single employee, irrespective of role, has an opportunity to learn some pretty basic techniques about innovation and to be given the encouragement to adopt it and use it every single day. I do find people seem to think they tick the innovation box with an event, you know, like but we'll do it for our conference next year and you kind of shake your head saying you're missing the point. <laughs> That's for another reason. You need to be adopting innovation practice 
today because, frankly, with the challenges that we all have ahead of us, and probably the biggest one is the, the 2050 zero emissions commitment that the whole world is signing up for, is just not going to happen unless every single solitary person in the workforce is equipped to deal with rapid reimagining and rapid solution development of the very real challenges in every single part of every single business in every single sector. It's absolutely critical. So for me, it just should be business as usual. It shouldn't be less a special occasion. I think that's it, isn't it? This ability to understand how to innovate because we need to do that now more than ever. And if we have businesses that are all thinking about how they can do things differently and solve issues together in a collaborative process, then this global issue that we have is going to come together from global organisations working together to out for outcomes. You know, we're not going to wait for government. We're going to we're going to drive business and organisations, industries to make that step change, um, and it's going to come through conversations, right? Exactly. And so, you know, it's not about waiting for policy change or regulatory obligations or all these other things. I mean, every single business, I think, has an obligation not only to its employees, but to its customers, to citizens of the world, mm. to actually get on with it urgently, desperately. And you know, we've, we've just recently done some work looking at sort of the generational mix of, uh, of the typical workforce, particularly of large organisations. And, you know, you've got essentially four, four generations operating in a workforce, and only two of them are actually going to be there to actually implement the 2050 target. But the journey to get there is going to be probably the single most responsible thing we have to do. We have to be working today to ensure that Gen Z, Gen Alpha have all the foundations in place to be able to operate in a zero emissions world. And how different is that world going to be? What are the skills? What's the technology? The only way it's going to happen is use of technology. People need to be skilled and most importantly, None of these things can happen with companies in isolation. These issues are just too massive. And there is genuine benefit, and I say genuine commercial benefit, for organisations who embrace the change. But the only way they're going to be able to do this is ensuring that every single employee, contractor, supplier, customer is empowered to contribute somehow. You know, like because we just can't pull it off. There's 28 years left. And we've got to change entire industry. Yeah, so, I agree. But that's also exciting. That's opportunity as well. So that, it's all good. And that's going to start right from high school, right through university into, you know, people that are working in the early, you know, first five years of organisations and so forth. Absolutely. Well, look, the scary thing is, though, Mike, is to probably start at the primary school because Gen Alpha, you know, 2011 to sort of 2025, they're in primary school now. They're the ones who are running the show in 2050. So it's making sure that, you know, finally, I think, the concept of STEM, which no one's ever really understood, science, technology, engineering, and maths, if if you're not in the world where you're living, what the hell STEM is what I often get asked. Now STEM actually has context because you can't actually get the world to zero emissions without those essential science, technology, engineering, and maths skills. So for the first time, maybe, we have context to give primary school students who love science and hate it by the time they're 10 and 11 when it suddenly becomes biology, chemistry, physics, 
it actually, it, it just becomes the way of life. We've got to change that mindset from primary school. It's got to be honed and areas of specialty about to be recognised in high school, then accomplished in tertiary and then applied in the workforce. I mean, this is this human resources chain is, is really from primary school on. Yeah, I agree. That That's definitely the future for them as the new leaders. What's the future for you, Dom? What's the next next thing you're working on? So we are very interested in this concept of skilling into generational talent pools. So basically looking at that group. You know, how do you use innovation and digital upskilling as the connectors that enable people who have very different skills and experience and mindset, frankly, to come together to actually work as a cohesive, collaborative group of people around reimagining a whole lot of things, including their business. So we're very excited about some recent work that we've done, the experience that we've gained ourselves by really doubling down in the whole renewable energy space, the opportunities that we had to work together, seeing the extent of the issues in these massive industry sectors, whether it's infrastructure, energy, these these are the major carbon emitters in the world. Paddle help more rapidly upskill everybody across that intergenerational workforce to have an innovation mindset and the confidence and capabilities to execute as fast as possible. That's what's getting me out of bed at the moment. Yeah, I love that. That is, um, it's a wonderful end to the conversation we've had. And I want to thank you, of course. Um, always um, a wonderful experience talking to you. And it's so diverse. I think there's a lot of messages here for everyone that are listening. And I think that um, really people need to take this opportunity to think about innovation, how that works within business, and reach out to this organisation, you know, connections that we have to either learn or um, or just build on what we have as well. So thank you so much. Mike, thank you. You know, when I leave these conversations, I always feel really energised and hopeful about the future when we have so many brilliant minds innovating for a better world. What interests me about these conversations is they're all come back to sustainability. And I think as an organisation, we're focused on that. And I think other organisations are also as well. And it's going to take us to collaboratively together to make an outcome that we're all going to be um, meaningful. You can find more about Paddle at paddle.com. That's P-A-D-D-L.com. Until next time, remember, innovation and collaboration are the key to building a better future. Bye for now.